With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first post-Super Bowl, first true off-season edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside Fran Duffy, and you roll your eyes, Fran. You, you don't agree? You disagree with my... Uh... Uh, no, I just, you know... It... It is officially the first one of the offseason. So for, the, for the entire for the NFL, NFL offseason. Yes. For the NFL offseason. Reminder, yes, this is a Philadelphia Eagles podcast, but we bring information that any NFL fan, any draft fan can appreciate. And I thought you were going to pull the, the line of uh, it's officially draft season. It's Well, for you, it's always draft season. On the season. journey to the draft podcast, it's always draft season. Indeed. See, that's why I didn't go down that that's road. That's right. Uh, so with you, you know, obviously Eagle season's been over for a little while now. Uh, we had the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. How busy are you with the underclassmen in terms of getting ready for the combine in just a couple of weeks? So it's, I forget the exact number, it's like 134 underclassmen or something like 132. Okay. Uh, record number this year. And just getting ready for that has been difficult. So the way I've just approached it is since coming back from Mobile, I'm just going position by position, and sometimes it's not even just the underclassmen. It might be some top seniors that I wanted to get extra eyes on as well, but I'm just going position by position. So uh, started with the running backs that Monday, so last week. Any we particular about, reason with the running backs? Uh, just because actually the, the, the way I'm doing it is who's practicing first at the Combine. Got so it. day one okay. of, of combine is running back O-line. So I did running back O-linemen, uh, middle of quarterbacks, and wrapping up offensive linemen, uh, basically as we speak right now. All right, so we ask you a favor. Just rate, leave a comment wherever you listen to our podcast. On today's show, our Mr. Relevant, one of my favorite in the entire biz, one of the best analysts, just one of the best good guys overall, Charles Davis, NFL Network. Uh, also is an analyst for NFL Fox during the season, so he's perfect because he can make the transition from the end of the Eagles season and what their needs are to who to look at in the upcoming draft. He was part of the daily broadcast for NFL Network with Daniel Jeremiah at the Senior Bowl, so he saw all those players up close and personal, so we'll get into that. We'll have your questions in our draft mailbag, but as we always do, and especially at this time of year because it is completely draft season for the entire NFL, we're going to kick things off with a little draft buzz with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Now that the Super Bowl is over, everyone's turning their attention to the draft. So you got to bring on the man. Each and every week we have him on the podcast, but now his prominence is bigger than ever. Tony Pauline, DraftAnalyst.com, at Tony Pauline on Twitter, going to give us the Draft Buzz. And Tony, I want to start here. Over the weekend, it was Saturday night, and we're doing the recap of Chris Long winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and you know, congrats to him, so well-deserved for everything that he does on and off the field. But I'm going through Twitter, and I think it was Sports Illustrated's Extra Mustard. With the, it just had a headline, uh, this Kyler Murray interview is extremely awkward. It got my attention, so I clicked on it. And Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma, was on the Dan Patrick show, and he was on. He was making the rounds, I think, as part with Gatorade during the week for Super Bowl. And the first question from Dan Patrick is about uh, Kyler Murray was in the studio holding the home of football, and he, and Dan Patrick goes, "Oh, how did that NFL ball feel?" Just to try to you know sure. loosen him up, gauge him about the whole football baseball discussion, and Kyler did not answer. Any question whatsoever. He wouldn't commit to going to the combine, spring training. Like it was extre- It's worth a watch because Dan just presses him the whole time. And Dan's like, you know, are you not having any fun with this? And Kyler at one point says, like, oh, I think I'm getting pretty good at answering these. And Dan's like, no, you're not. You're not answering <laughs> these at all. So, so I'm, I'm texting Fran, like, who's going to use a first-round pick on this kid? So, you know – have you heard anything, Tony? I, I mean, there's there was a lot of buzz last week leading up to the Super Bowl that he could be in the discussion for the top ten. We talked about that on the podcast, Tony. Are, are you hearing anything from teams about what what the regard is after this week of bizarre interviews? Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of the uh, a lot of it, and much of the buzz is not positive. I mean, there is some positive buzz, but you know, there there is a lot of concern, which is something that I've, I've said all along. There's going to be questions really up through the combine and past the combine. 
Right now, there's too many unknowns, which is really going to kill his draft stock. Uh, there was a report that teams are concerned about the, his father's imposition on this whole process, and I can tell you that is 100% true. It's something that I heard over the weekend. I was holding it till the Journey to Draft podcast. Unfortunately, we've been beaten to the punch on that. Uh, but I'm told the father is having his son go out into the public media and do interviews that he's not prepared for. I did not see the interview that you're speaking about, uh, you're speaking about but that is one of the issues. He has the son go out there to kind of uh, humanize himself and, 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 and get everyone to know him, but he's not prepared for these interviews. There is a rumor, and I stress, there is a rumor at this point in time that the father is considering uh, Kyler Murray, or not allowing Kyler Murray to be measured and made and weighed at the combine. That is the word that's out there now. There's no clarification. We won't find out, um, you know, if it's true or not until the combine. You know, I don't think it's going to happen. But that sort of word that's out there is is hurtful to Kyler Murray, who already has a lot of questions about his next level potential. Let me say this. The last time I saw this much intervention from a parent was with Randy Gregory, who fell for assorted reasons other than the fact that his father was interfering, but it's absolutely worth noting. I mean, there are a lot of concerns, as you knew there were, were going to be, because you know teams don't want these questions hanging over somebody's head uh, on draft day. You look at Laramie Tunzel, you know, the issue that popped up right before uh, – on draft day. He was selected. And then you look at Joe Mixon. You know, Joe Mixon, there were all kinds of questions about where Joe Mixon would go. Right before the, the draft, Joe Mixon settled the lawsuit on the girl that he hit. All of a sudden, teams said that that's not going to be hanging over his head. So it kind of helped improve this draft stock or solidify the fact that there's one thing, one less thing that we have to worry about with this guy. With Kyler Murray, there's, there's too many things. Hey, listen, it's still early February. We've got another... Uh, Another three and a half weeks before the combine, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, and I, I think that's the big thing is that it's definitely not too it's not too late for things to change. It's not too late. It's not like this damage can't be undone. He could go to the combine and go through everything, and everything's nice and cheeky. He's going to have to face a lot of these questions. Uh, you know, if he thought Dan Patrick was tough, like it's going to get tough over uh, you know at the trade station and at these private interviews uh, that night in Indianapolis. So it'll be interesting just to see what happens coming out of that event. But let's get into that, Tony, because uh, you know we're hearing all these th- announcements from all the players and, and you know and different you know agents and representation, media members breaking news about different prospects accepting their invitations to go to the Combine. i got to think that the final announcement, the final list will be coming here in the next couple of days. But take us through that process because, you know, national scouting, they get together, they, uh, they offer out these grades and then these, uh, these invitations to these players. What is that process that's gone on now over the last couple of weeks and how does it all kind of come to fruition for all these players now leading up to the Combine? Well, the grading of the seniors for the Combine happened a while ago, and it was, they were just waiting on the list of underclassmen. What happens is, is all 32 teams get, a, get a, uh, a vote each on players at each position, as does national scouting. So there are 33 votes. And, you know, you, you, you vote for you, – you give votes for the offensive linemen, defensive linemen. And then what they try and do is they try and basically break it down – keep the uh, numbers uh, at each position kind of static as they have in the past. You're usually talking about 325 to 330 players uh, being invited. You know, what do you have, like 34 receivers? I I mean, they try and keep that static. It will change based on the talent or lack of talent at a specific position. It will also change sometimes if the teams start to press, hey, we want more offensive tackles than usual uh, this year. Um, so, so the the the, uh, the voting for the seniors happened a, a while ago. Uh, the the issue and the, the seniors, the, the list is the seniors know if you haven't gotten an invitation by now, you're not getting an invitation. Uh, the big issue is the number of underclassmen who entered the draft, close to 140. And there's a belief that many of these underclassmen were given bad advice or bad information on the outside, which basically precipitated them to throw their. Uh, their name into the into the hat to enter the draft, even though they were getting go back to school recommendations from the uh, advisory committee. Now, what what happens is you're usually eighty to eighty five percent of the declared underclassmen get a combine invite. So you're looking at likely one hundred and ten to one hundred and fifteen underclassmen getting combine invitations. 
that's almost a third of the total number of attendees yep. at Indianapolis. A lot of people feel that there were seniors who deserved invitations lost out because of undeserving underclassmen who received one. And the big name right now is Jimmy Moreland, the cornerback from James Madison, who did not get a combine invite. He's not going to be there. Look good, look great in Shrine practices. Look good in Senior Bowl practices. Now that was after the voting took place, but uh, you know there was that second wave of seniors who were kind of on the fence. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, we, we heard about it at the Shrine game. They were on the fence, and it was dependent on how many underclassmen they invited. But a couple of guys like Jimmy Moreland lost out because of the excessive number of underclassmen who entered the draft, and by extension, got invitations to the combine. Tony, you mentioned Joe Mixon, and I believe he was the first player impacted by the new rule where the NFL will not provide invitations to players if they have transgressions of domestic violence in their past. And Tom Palacero from NFL Network reported that Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle from Mississippi State, and Preston Williams, the receiver from Colorado State, they were not invited to the combine this season because of similar transgressions in their past. How do you think this impacts their draft stock since they won't be able to meet with teams in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's going to impact uh, Williams a lot more than it's going to impact Simmons. Uh, Simmons is in a situation where, you know, it happened before, you know, there's a film out there, which is, and it's going to be a conversation, uh, a point of conversation, and people are going to be talking about it really through draft day. There's a a film out there of something that happened uh, before his college days, which he was arrested for, and, you know, he paid a civic fine for. Uh, But, but, you know, the fact is this is he plays a priority position. He's a very talented guy. They say he's a model student. And what's going to happen is is he's in a situation where at Mississippi State, uh, there are going to be a lot of defensive coordinators, a lot of defensive line coaches, potentially some head coaches and general managers who travel to Mississippi State to watch Montez Sweat, watch Jonathan Abram, watch some of the, you know, the, the Peters, the cornerback, Jerry Green, the, the linebacker. They're going to be down there to watch those guys, and they'll also be able to watch Simmons. So it won't affect him as much as it, it's going to affect Preston Williams. What will happen is, is you know, at the Combine, they do these extensive medicals. They do these extensive interviews. They go through the psychological testing, the Wonderlick testing. The, when the, if a team is very interested in Simmons, they will bring him in. They will be able to do the same sort of medicals. If they want to do an MRI on his shoulder or his knee, perhaps they will do that. They could also put him through some psychological, psychological uh, testing, and they'll go through the grind with interviews. So Simmons is probably not going to affect as much. Um, the, the one thing about it is with underclassmen, the combine, you have the greatest number of eyes on you watching you watching you work out, watching you go through position drills, whereas a pro day, instead of having 32 teams there, maybe there's 20 teams there. And instead of having 32 head coaches there, you know, maybe there's 10 head coaches there. So there's not as many number of eyes uh, on you at, at, at a pro day as, as opposed to the combine, so there's you know, fewer people for you to impress. Uh, it, you know, I, 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 it's going to affect Simmons. I don't think it's going to have a great effect, as opposed to Preston Williams, who people told me he may not get drafted at all because you're only going to have a certain number of few people going out there to Colorado State uh, to, to watch him work out. Uh, there's a lot in his past. Uh, he had to transfer schools. Uh, I, I think it's going to have a great Im- effect on Williams. Uh, you know, Simmons probably would have been a top-ten pick uh, had this not all ha- occurred. I, I still think he's going to fall somewhere in the middle of round one. And most mock drafts still have him going in the first round. Now, speaking of top ten, a potential number one overall pick, Nick Bosa, told NBC Sports Bay Area that he's healthy and will fully participate in all drills at the Combine. Have you heard uh, that that will be the case? I, I would assume. I mean, that's what I heard at the Senior Bowl when I was talking to uh, his agents. They said he was he was ahead of uh, – had a schedule and his gamble paid off. I mean, the, you know what he said when he basically left the Ohio State program was, "I, you know, I'm going to re- rehab my uh, for my surgery and I'm going to get ready for the combine," and it, it looks like the gamble has paid off. So I don't think there's any surprise here. The bigger surprise would be if he wasn't able to work out uh, or had to uh, had to basically pull back at the combine because of the surgery. Tony, as we get ready for the combine, I'm 
just barreling through these underclassmen offensive linemen. And I, I studied San Diego State's left tackle, Tyler Romer, last week. I know this is a guy uh, that you've written about in the past. Very talented kid. But he did end the season off the roster there for the Aztecs. He was initially suspended, then was removed from the team. Have you heard about him? You know, what have you, what have, what's the latest you've heard there? Uh, and I know you've written about him in the past, but where do you think his draft stock is at this point in the process? going to take a big hit. You know, I wrote about him, I believe, the third week of the college football season when I watched him play over the summer. I mean, based off of the 2017 film and the first couple of weeks of 2018, I said, this kid could be the most talented offensive lineman to come out of San Diego State since Kyle Turley. I, I really felt that about him. Now, a couple things transpired. Number one, uh, he had an issue with the knee. He had an issue with the meniscus, which he had checked out by himself. Uh, which caused a rift between himself and the uh, coaching department or the coaching staff at San Diego State. Uh, I'm also told that there were some issues with academics. He wasn't failing as far as the NCAA is concerned, but his grade point average was not high enough, uh, high enough for San Diego State or, or the way San Diego State wants to keep him on the field. So it, it was a suspension that basically led from a, to a dismissal from the program. Uh, now you're looking at a situation where the kid ba- barely played a year and a half. He's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, what's going to happen is, is teams who are interested in Tyler Romer are going to go back and talk to the San Diego State coaching staff, and they're not going to give him you know, a, a rousing commendation. They're probably going to throw him under the bus. Uh, he's got a knee injury. He's still undeveloped in his game. You know, I've said all along, the best course for him would have been to transfer if uh, San Diego State wouldn't release him from his scholarship, maybe to transfer to a, a lower division and at least try and play another year. I think right now, if Romer is drafted, it's probably going to be in the very late round, sixth or seventh round. Could be a little bit earlier because he is a talented offensive tackle. He does have some upside, and there's not a whole lot of him in this year's draft. And as we've seen, really, last year, the, the offensive tackles, uh, they, were, they were selected much earlier than any, anyone uh, could have projected. But as of right now, you look at the entire situation, I, I think Romer is a guy who could have gone second day, but he's likely going to go sixth, seventh round. Tony, let's dig into to some mock drafts here. And we've got to start with uh, the man to my left and everyone who's watching to, to the right of the screen. That's Fran Duffy, who did one for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Make sure to check it out. And, uh, Fran, what was the exercise like for you, given the uh, first go-out in this Fran mock draft? Uh, it, it was fun just going, you know, because, look, we talk about these prospects all year long and just, just trying to get a sense of, all right, like, who is really going to go high? We, we read all these mock drafts uh, all throughout the course of the fall, throughout the course of the spring. I've got my own opinions. I may disagree. Look, I disagree with how I valued some of these guys that went in the first round, but you know how it goes. I mean, and Tony could speak to this. If there's enough, if there's enough smoke about a prospect going in round one, chances are he's probably going to go in round one. So uh, we'll see how that changes. But that to me was the most interesting part of it. So you you basically went from one through twenty four and allow fans to select the Eagles pick at number twenty five. And uh, as we tabulated the votes earlier this morning, Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle of Clemson, who you absolutely love to yeah. begin with, you would love if he's actually there at twenty five in the real draft. Uh, was the was the majority it wasn't an overwhelming selection by by fans, but you received uh, over a quarter of the vote, twenty five percent. Yeah, which uh, I would be in that that uh, percentile. I'd be I'd be voting for Christian Wilkins as well. But it was interesting. I mean, those five players had at least ten percent of the vote. Christian Wilkins had twenty five percent. Dexter Lawrence fifteen percent. Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma, twelve percent. Michael Dieter, the offensive line from Wisconsin, twelve percent. And then Deontay Thompson, ten percent for the safety from Alabama. Tony, your thoughts on uh, Fran's first mock draft of the season and uh, Christian Wilkins possibly being there for the Eagles at 25 in real life? Uh, well, I'd be shocked if Christian Wilkins you know, gets out of the top 15. When, you know, I agree with Fran. You, know, you, you grade these players, you believe in your, your grades, and then you look at team needs. I don't really look at other first-round mock drafts. Uh, I mean, they're called mock drafts for a reason, uh, even though I do my own on occasion. Uh, I, I don't, you know, at least Fran didn't have Dalton Reisner in the top 24, which That's is right. good to see. Um, I, I, you know, Christian Wilkins, in my opinion, if he falls to 25, it's because there's some major red flags. And the major red flag could be teams are concerned about, you know, the effort, although I think the effort's good enough. Uh, you know, uh, Daniel Jones going to seven is an obvious, you know, need pick. The, the Jaguars are in dire need of, of a quarterback. 
I don't know that that makes sense. I thought that was possible going in, heading into Senior Bowl week if Daniel Jones had the sort of knockout week that we saw from Carson Wentz and Phillip Rivers and, and, and those types of players in the past, but I don't think he did that. It looked like he was heading that way with the first, uh, uh, after the first day, but he kind of petered out. He kind of, kind of leveled off there, and there were some people who I spoke to after uh, the Senior Bowl who looked at Daniel Jones and said he's a developmental quarterback. He doesn't even he's not even a first rounder. I disagree. I have him going in my first round, but you know, that's the variety of, of opinions on Daniel Jones at this point and it only takes one team. I was also a little bit uh, surprised with Greedy Williams sliding to 13 and Cleveland Farrell going to uh sliding to 16. You know, the way uh, Fran likes Christian Wilkins, I love Cleveland Farrell and I just think Greedy Williams is too big. He, he's too skilled at, at a priority position. Uh, cornerback to really fall out of the top 10. Yeah, and then, uh, Tony, you did a mock draft yourself over at draftanalyst.com, a two-round mock draft, which uh, I suggest all of you go and check out. But three picks for the Eagles, obviously, in the first two rounds. And i got to be honest, I'd be pretty excited about this trio. You've got Draymond Jones to the Eagles in round one, uh, who actually got the least percentage of votes from an Eagles fan standpoint in my poll. I'm surprised that more fans aren't more excited about Draymond Jones. I, I would love that pick as well. David Montgomery, the running back from Iowa State, and Nazir Adderley, the safety from Delaware, uh, finishing out round two. Take us behind the scenes here. What, what are your thoughts on those three picks and what went into those three selections from your standpoint? I believe I, I, Christian Wilkins going to Miami much earlier. So, you know, Draymond Jones, when I looked at him on the board, I, he's a lot what the Eagles usually look for in a defensive tackle. You know, a guy who, you know, is, say, slightly smaller, but very quick, very explosive, very athletic, a guy who can rush the passer. And I, re, I, I think he, you know, not only fit a knee, but he, he fit the type of player that they, they've selected that in the past at that position. I didn't have uh, any running backs going in round one, so all of my running backs fell. I thought Dave Montgomery made the most sense for the Eagles in round two. He's a bigger-body guy who can run, a, who can uh, grind it on the inside. He's a terrific pass catcher out of the backfield, and he's an outstanding blocker. I mean, he does all, the, all those things very well. He's shown a good degree of uh, durability in his game. So I thought it was a perfect fit for, uh, for the Eagles in round two. And I think Adderley, you know, fits a need. He's a guy who I think needs some work on his game. Uh, but he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of upside. Uh, sort of a hometown guy coming from Delaware, uh, or playing at University of Delaware. So I, I thought that would be a good fit, you know, for the future with with the Eagles. And uh, we'll close things out, Tony, with our mock draft roundup. And uh, speaking of Adderley, Joe Marino from the Draft Network has the Eagles taking him in the first round. What would you think of the value there if the Eagles used their first round selection on Adderley? I, you know, in my opinion, it's a major reach. I just don't see it with Adderley uh, in the top 45 selections. I know there's been some buzz about him. I don't know where it's coming from. He's a solid prospect. He's not a great prospect. And I go back to the fact that, you know, I remember seeing Rasheen Mathis at the Senior Bowl, who was absolutely dominant. I saw Dominique Rogers Cromartie at the Senior Bowl, who was terrific. Adderley paled in comparison to those guys. And when you're a small school defensive back, that's what you have to do. Uh, you know, if you watched Wednesday's film, Wednesday's practice on film from the Senior Bowl, because we weren't able to view it in uh, in person, there was a play where Adderley got beat badly by Drew Sample, the tight end from Washington who runs in the four eights. Now, you know, it may have been a one-off type of incident, but when you're a small school defensive back at safety, you can't be getting beat by four tight ends that run in the four eights. I, I think all this. Uh, you know, the, I'm sure the agents love it and a lot of the people around them love it, but I think all this top 32 talk about Adderley is just putting expectations too high on the kid. He's a very good player. He's very explosive. He's, good, he's great to watch on film, especially moving forward. I, I just don't think that he's worth the top 40 selection uh, at this point. And, 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 I'm gonna, and I'm not going to change that opinion, I mean, unless somehow he runs a 419 at the combine. Don't think that's going to happen. Usain Bolt just did a four-two-two, you know, leading up to the Super Bowl, just for uh, promotional purposes. So that tied the record right there. So Tony Pauline, DraftAnalyst.com. Look forward to doing this once again next week. Follow his work again. Now that everyone's focused on the draft, he is the man with all the insight from all thirty-two teams when it comes to the draft. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. We're going to transition now into our pick six. Six players who are most influential to the Eagles selection at number 25. 
Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, Fran, so as I alluded to, our Pick 6 this week. When you came up, I love the idea that you had here. Okay. Six players who are most influential to the Eagles pick at number 25. And you can kind of explain your process. It's not necessarily who the Eagles will be in play for, who they'll want to select. It's just who's going to kind of alter the dominoes getting to number 25. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, and I think it is a little bit early to have this conversation with certainty, but I think that Is it ever? Come well, on now. I mean, that's true, but I think that ultimately we're going to start talking about like positions as well. It's not just player, but it might be, you know, what positions uh, really could impact the Eagles and it's again, it's like you said, it's not who are the Eagles going to draft. It's not who are, who are the Eagles definitely looking at at 25. It's who are the players that could impact who is or is not available for the Eagles? And you'll get a better idea of that as we continue. Well, okay, so I'll kick things off here. And we've talked a lot about Kyler Murray already. I think you got to go with Kyler Murray and the entire quarterback group there, yes. especially at the top when looking at the Eagles, because you know full well the Eagles are not taking a quarterback at 25. They That's are right. not taking one in the first round. So if you're an Eagles fan, you want Kyler Murray to go high. It's almost counterproductive that we're saying all the things about the interviews that he had at Super Bowl week and talking about the height and the possible issues there because we want Kyler Murray to select football and we want him to go high definitely before 25 so it bumps another player down so it'll be interesting to see at the end of the day how many quarterbacks do end up getting selected in the first round of this year's draft but you're hoping for the four I would say if Kyler Murray is in that mix, if he's fully committed to football and the whole nine yards that go along with that. So for me, I'm starting with Kyler Murray and the quarterbacks because if you can get four quarterbacks to go before pick number 25, there's no one There's no one who would be a surprise fifth, by the way. Right. I'm, I'm, I don't I'm, think so. I'm I just think putting that out. There's no one who, like, it's uh, we're going to start in after combine and be like, this guy's now generating first-round buzz. No, there were, there were some guys that you were worried about this, you know, back in the fall, but – um, you know, it really the four now. It's Kyler Murray, Haskins, uh, Drew, Lock. Drew Lock, and Daniel Jones. Yeah. Those are the four. And I think you know, back in the fall, some people may have thrown Will Greer into that mix from West Virginia. Maybe even Ryan Finley going back to the summer. Um, but yeah, that's that ship has sailed. Okay, bit. so hopefully those four guys will all go in the top 24 picks. So I'm going to stay along the same track. And I think again, if you're an Eagles fan, you understand. Okay, they're definitely not going to take a quarterback at 25. The other position I would say is completely off the board. Okay, is tight end. I would agree. And there's lots of tight ends that are being talked about. They're they're tight end. I mean, there are some mock drafts out there where you're talking three, maybe even four tight ends in the top 25 wow. picks. I mean, I think that's that's crazy. I don't think that that may, and I haven't even done a lot of these tight ends mm-hmm. yet. But you look at tight ends really over the course of the last few years. Dallas Goddard last year was a excellent prospect. Fell to the second round. Uh, you know, it's very, very rare that you see an Eric Ebron go high. O.J. Howard was one of the top ten players in that draft. He fell to the tw- to the late teens, early twenties. Like that's just how it goes with that position. So I find it hard to believe that you know we'll see three, four guys go. That being said, Caden Smith from Stanford is a guy that Tony Pauline has lauded as a potential first round pick. Okay. T.J. Hawkinson from Iowa, Noah Fant from Iowa, uh, Irv Smith from Alabama. All those guys are going to be in the discussion, and the combine will kind of help solidify that. But you hope as an Eagles fan, obviously, at least Hawkinson, at least Caden Smith, those guys can bump up into the top 25. That's great. Amazing. That'd be huge. It's incredible, especially when you have premier talent at an important position like defensive line that you would be thinking. Now, maybe if you're just thinking of them as glorified receivers and pass catchers, and it's more like you're adding another big buy receiver, it's different, but still – that would be great if that many people Huge. go. So the next I go is a specific player here, and we've talked about him in draft budget, and that's Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State. Just because with the off-field past, how will that impact his draft stock? Is you know again so many talented defensive linemen, and I think Tony Pauline said it best that if his record's clean, he's probably a top ten pick. Okay, so he probably still comes off the board, but would he force another? key defensive lineman does Christian Wilkins who again I think we all agreed we don't think would make it to 25 but you saw Fran scenario and Fran does his homework he understands the needs he scouts the players he does the, the film study like you know you do all the proper steps to come up with a a 
a possible scenario at how Wilkins could still be there at number 25. So uh, I do think that you know Simmons and where he goes in that first round, it seems like he will go in the first round at the end of the day. That's going to impact where some of these other defensive linemen who could be available there for the Eagles at 25. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, especially in the, the construct of this conversation. I think Jeffrey Simmons is certainly one of those lightning rod players that we'll keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to go with wide receiver because okay. it seems right now that the one lock for the first round, again, this is what it seems like right now, is Marquise Brown from Oklahoma. Uh, speedster has gotten comparisons to guys like Deshaun Jackson. I'm excited. I haven't done my study on him yet. Okay. Watched plenty of Oklahoma on uh, on TV this year. This guy can fly. You, know, you can see that on 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 TV. That uh, you know this guy has got instant speed. So he seems like a guy who's right now being talked talked about as a lock for round one. Then depending on who you ask, what mock drafts you read, Kelvin Harmon from NC State, mm-hmm. Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. You start to see Hakeem Butler from Iowa State. A lot of these other big receivers, these big bodied guys, get worked in now. Couple things. Number one, we saw so many of those big bodies receivers a couple years or last year in the draft come out early, and we thought, oh, that's a potential first round pick, maybe even a second round pick. And you know, then uh, the the process wears on. The combine comes and goes. They don't test well, and you know, three of them get go undrafted. They go in the sixth round. So, does we'll also pump- you go? Let's go the year before the Derek Barnett draft, where you have Corey Davis go high. Yep. He's had his ups and downs in his first couple seasons. Mike Williams had the injury plate first season, but did have a very good second season. Does do you think that maybe factors into it? Potentially, yeah. I think really that's. I think when you look at all of those guys, whether it's Harry Butler, uh, Harmon, all of them, it really is going to come down to: uh, Are they athletic enough to be able to win one on one on the outside? Yeah, and that's going to be the question that uh, they're going to try and answer at the combine. I think the testing will be really, really big for all of those big bodied receivers now. We, again, we kind of feel Brown is going to be in that first-round mix. He was on the board for the Eagles uh, in that mock draft exercise that I did yep. earlier this week. Nikhil Harry, Kelvin Harmon, and the rest of that group, we'll see. Uh, to me, my guess is they probably won't go top 25, but strong workouts in Indy. Now you're talking, oh, hey, 6'2", 220 pounds. He ran 4'4". You know, he had X amount of catches this year. Now we're talking about a potential you know, round one pick. All right, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go to the running back position, okay? And I'm looking specifically at Josh Jacobs. Because I think yep. he's the consensus top running back in this year's draft class. And is, have you already done your, your study on him? I have. Okay. Good player. Well, really good, good player. player. Really good player. So last year we had Saquon Barkley go number two yep. to the Giants. It was, in, it was an interesting tweet from over the weekend where all the awards were coming out. This was just before Chris Long was named the man of the year. And... Ian Rappaport from NFL Network tweets after Saquon was named Offensive Rookie of the Year, well, this validates the pick for the Giants number two. There was never a question about Saquon's talent. No. There was no question about him as a player. It's more the valuation of the position, plus the Giants weren't a good football team in 2018. So I don't know if that— They ran less this year than they did last year. So I don't know. I don't know about that validating the pick. We knew he was a good player. He was better than I expected. He was a freakish talent out there on the yep. field. You know, was carried that offense literally and figuratively. But that to me doesn't validate the pick. Now getting back to Jacobs, some mocks have him. Daniel Jeremiah's mock has him. I think number five to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Some mocks don't have him in the first round. Uh, you know, so to me, where does he go? That's going to, I think, kind of be interesting in terms of setting the tone for what people think of the position. Because you look at the New England Patriots, they took Sony Michelle in the first sure. round at the end of last. He's year. a better player than Michelle. Yeah, you know, but he, he but Sony Michelle was yep. a first round pick and yep. scored the Super Bowl winning touchdown. So uh, when you're as an Eagles fan, you're looking at the running back position. Would you see them investing a first round pick? I think if it's the right player. But nonetheless, though, I think where Josh Jacobs goes could cause a domino effect for the other running backs, but just also, again, with some of the talent that's available, the depth of talent available at other positions would potentially push that down. So that's why I look at Josh Jacobs as my my third player who I think will influence what happens to the Eagles at number 25. I think that makes a lot of sense for all the reasons that you highlighted. For my final one, I'm going to go with Jacobs' teammate at Alabama. That's offensive lineman Jonah Williams. And I say offensive lineman because – 
depending mm. on who you talk to. Some people think that he's a stud left tackle. Okay. Some people think he's going to have to move inside the guard, and that could affect his value. Because if you're looking at him as a, as a stud left tackle, you're probably looking at him as a top 10 pick. If you think he's a guard and he's not Quentin Nelson, he's not that kind of physical mauler. He's not a guy that is going to win one-on-one and just blow you off the football. I mean, he's 6'5", 300 pounds. He, he's a light kid. So uh, if he's going to move inside the guard – it is a projection. He's played both tackle spots. He's never played inside. Uh, if he if he comes in with you know thirty two inch arms at the combine in, in a couple of weeks, I could see him drop a little bit. Now, okay. is he going to drop to twenty five? Maybe I don't know. That's it's going to be something that's going to be very very interesting to watch, and that, and that's really where I think the buzz comes from with him dropping. It's not because he's a bad football player. He's a good football player. He's got good feet. Uh, I really like his mentality. He's smart. Again, talked about the versatility. He's just not super powerful, and with that lack of length, he has a, a bad habit of letting, and it's not even really a bad habit, he just gets himself into trouble letting defensive linemen into his chest. And at that point, he struggles to recover and, and, and counter off of that. To me, that's where you're looking at with Jonah Williams and saying, all right, if, if he's a guard, now you're probably bumping him down the board a little bit, and we'll see how, how that ultimately affects it. I do think he's going to go in the top 24 picks, uh, but we'll see. He could be a guy that will say, like, all right, is he good, too good to pass up on uh, if he were to fall to 25? So we've touched on a number of underclassmen. We're going to get into some more underclassmen, but we're also going to hit on the seniors as we welcome in our Mr. Relevant, Charles Davis from NFL Network, to talk about who impressed him at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, and start to look ahead to the underclassmen as well as the NFL Scouting Combine. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast, truly relevant indeed, the esteemed Charles Davis, who seamlessly goes from doing broadcast for the NFL Fox as an analyst right into draft season for NFL Network. And if you want to catch up on everything that's going on with the NFL, the draft, you follow him on Twitter at CFD22, Charles freaking Davis. Charles, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing well. It's good to talk with you guys again. So, Charles, I want to start off with that you broadcast, you were the color analyst for the Eagles' season-ending loss to the New Orleans Saints. So before we yeah. get into draft talk here, where do, you think, where, where do you think the Eagles need to improve the most this offseason, especially as the Super Bowl was just a couple of days ago? Well, the easy answer, and I know for some people it might be trite, but just get healthy. You know, they, they battled through so many things, so many guys going down and you know, I, I did Atlanta a few times during the season, and they had the same issue. And no one ever uses it as an excuse not to good organizations. I mean, certainly not Philadelphia. I didn't hear it out of Atlanta, you know, just to name two. But just think about what happens when Darby comes back, Sidney Jones comes back, you know, and you start going down the line, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing is you may have some guys who need to get healthy, but are they – at that stage now where you are truly planning for what's next. I look at Jason Peters with all due respect and, and, and nothing but incredible play. How much longer will Jason want to go out there and do that? How much longer can his body let him do that? He battled him. He's about a warrior. You guys know better than I do. But there were a good number of games that unfortunately he couldn't finish or couldn't finish at his best. So, is this that time, you know, coming off the knee this year, you know, again, again with this stuff this year, again, right on down the line, you know, so I'm looking at places like offensive line, at least getting some depth in there. Brandon Brooks with the Achilles, I believe, in our game against the Saints, which was awful to see, and he, he hated it. Okay, how much time for him, and, you know, will, will he be able to go next year and, and go at the same effectiveness? I think, obviously, the quarterback situation will play itself out. You guys know know what's going on there. So who becomes the number two? You know, the, the, do you have that guy sitting there already in Sudfeld? Do you have to go elsewhere? What happens with that? I think the receiver situation is going to be fun to watch and interesting to watch because Aguilar, Golden Tate, are they the same type player? Are they the same guy? Do you get the same thing? Do you only need one? Oh, boy. I just go on and on with that. Or can you mix and match everyone there and find them all to be effective? So that's just a starting point for me. But I just came away from that game, and, and you know, let's face it, Alshon Jeffrey catches that pass 12 times out of 10, 
and that was, I mean, just an incredible anomaly. But if he catches it, I haven't met a person yet that doesn't say, oh, well, the Eagles, if he catches that one, the Eagles will find a way to win it. And if so, history gets altered. But yeah. that's what I see off the top with them. So you're in the booth for, for the game in New Orleans. Two weekends later, you're in the booth down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, Charles. And, you know, my big question is, really, who caught your eye down in Mobile? Because, you know, we all kind of go in with preconceived notions on all these players. And, you know, we, one of the fun parts for me is leaving and thinking to myself, okay, who are the few guys that really kind of exceeded those expectations? Was there anybody uh, that really did that for you? Well, I, can't, I went into it, Fran, wanting to see Keelan Doss, the wide receiver. You see Davis on the hoof, and then he exceeded expectations for me. You know the numbers are off the charts, but then to watch him, I thought he's a mature route runner, big body guy. I'm eager to see what the stopwatch says on him because there are a lot of Keenan Allen comparisons, and I've always said that Keenan Allen was mistimed, very similar to Jordy Nelson. I think both of them got timed at a time that they weren't 100%, and that time has followed them throughout their careers. Right? I mean, how many times have you heard of Jordy Nelson? He ran a 4-7, whatever. Then you watch him run by DBs in the NFL his entire career, and you're like, not a 4-7 guy. Somebody, some, something got screwed up somewhere. All right? So I'm eager to see what Doss actually runs. But I thought he had a tremendous week with route running. I thought Penny Hart, the, the slot from Georgia State, doesn't have the size you're looking for. He's listed at 5-8. But, boy, oh, boy, he got open time and again. Catch radius may be an issue, but – we watch this league, they find ways to get guys involved, and I think he's a more polished route runner than a guy like a Tavon Austin. And can they find ways to get him the ball? Kiki Cootie was, was doing a nice job for Houston Texans before he got hurt. So he'd be a guy that I, that I saw that I came away. Linebacker Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State. Yeah, the Darius Leonard stuff started. I think you guys heard it. I don't know if you felt the same way, but... That Darius Leonard talk began, and there's a lot of similarities. Darius Leonard from South Carolina State, a 1AA program. New Mexico State's a 1A program, but they are so far off the radar. I think for a lot of fans, it feels like one. And I thought he was all over the place that last week in Mobile, or that week in Mobile. And he was a very similar player in size, speed, acumen. I saw him make some plays that, that were just intelligent plays. Ball, ball, boots back to his side. He gets his head on a receiver, takes away that route. Things of that nature. So those are just a few, just right off the top. I could bore you all day, but those are just a few guys that immediately caught my eye, and I thought, wow. But I will tell you, maybe my favorite that I feel like is, is going to get more attention as time goes on, and that's the corner from Kentucky, Lonnie Johnson, Jr. Loved his size, loved his, his, his movement skills, loved his feet. Only two years at Kentucky, only one interception. That would be something I have to delve into a little bit more. So, Charles, we talked on the previous edition of the podcast about our favorite players from Mobile who performed the best. Uh, we had Jim Nagy on last week's episode, the executive yeah. director of the recent Senior Bowl, and he talked about Chume Doga, who was the practice player of the week and said that he helped his stock the most down there in Mobile. So for your money, who was the best player down there on offense and on defense? Give us a name on each side of the ball. Well, on defense, for me, it was the Mississippi State DN Sweat, Montez Sweat. He came in with the reputation. He came in with the, 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 the status. But I'd heard a few whispers about practice habits, heard, heard a few whispers about stoutness versus the run. And he took every rep that I saw, and he worked hard at the things that I'd heard people kind of whisper about. Run defense, setting the edge, you know, doing all the right things. I thought he had sharp, violent hands when he when he rushed the passer or played against the run. And I saw a kid take a full week in, didn't tap out on game day, made sure he got the full week. I thought that was really, really impressive. So defensively, he was he was the guy that I thought was the most impressive that I saw down there. On the offensive side of the ball, you know, quarterback would be the easy one. But I thought Debo Samuel from South Carolina might have done as much as anyone to really thrust himself into a major conversation. Because the way the game's being played, the versatility, the multiplicity at the receiver position is a big deal. You know, we always used to joke about the guys who are receivers and become running backs after they catch the ball. This guy epitomizes it because he actually looks like a running back. And I thought he ran really good routes. He accepted the challenge every day in practice because on his side of the ball was Rocky Sin from Temple. And they went at it every day in drills, and I thought that was fun to watch. I love to see kids compete, but I thought he was I thought he was terrific all week. 
similar line of questioning here, uh, Charles. For me, when you know Eagles fans are, are really, really excited about the offensive and defensive lines on, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think yeah. Eagles fans are excited about the young talent in this class. So, same question to you, but just focus in on the offense and defensive lines. Who really stood out to you? You mentioned Montez Sweat uh, from Mississippi State. Was there anybody else uh, on either side of the football that really kind of caught your eye on the line of scrimmage? Yeah, I'm going to start on the offensive side, if that's okay. I thought the Caleb McGarry from Washington, right tackle, I think he's going to be a 10-year starter in the league. I just liked what he did all week long. I thought Nate Davis from Charlotte jumped off the screen for me. Maybe the most messed up stance I've seen on offensive linemen <laughs> since, since. Who's the Hall of Famer? Uh, Randall McDaniel. Sure. Remember, remember his stance with the Vikings? Well, they're going to work on Davis's stance, but he moved people all week long. I, I just liked him. I thought Bradbury from North Carolina State had to adjust. I thought power got to him early in the week. But by the end of the week, he was more than holding his own. And if you want any movement skills, there's some similarities. And we made that comparison with, with Jason Kelsey. And I said Ryan Khalil with, with the Carolina Panthers as well. He's played in that zone scheme, so you see it a lot. Doga was terrific from USC. I thought he was great. Other guys that caught my eye, Andre Dillard from Washington State. I hadn't had a chance to see him in person. I thought he had a really nice week playing left tackle. He's not going to maul you in the run game. That's not who he is. But he's going to position you, move you to the right places. And then pass protection, I thought he was terrific. I really thought he was excellent. I like the two guards from Oklahoma. And it's been a long time since I've come out and really been strong about offensive linemen from Oklahoma. I, I went through that time, guys, when I was calling college football, and anything third and two was a passing down for Oklahoma. And that's when they were putting up 50 points a game. They just didn't move people at the offensive line. But I really thought that Ben Powers and I really thought that Drew Samia did a nice job showing some nasty, showing some toughness, coming off the line of scrimmage and smacking people around. Elton Jenkins, the center for Mississippi State, liked him a bunch, another power-type player. Um, can get up to the next level after he, block, after he snaps the ball and makes some plays. And one that came under the radar that I really liked was Oliuda uh, from, from uh, Elon. Another small school kid that I think, you know, you got to keep an eye on and keep watching. Flipping over to the defensive side, I really thought that Kingsley Kiki from Texas A&M not only lived up to the name game, but played really well. Good week in practice. Big game. And you guys know they've got the Jonathan Simmons kid. is probably the best D-lineman in Mississippi State. I mean, you go in the SEC, as you know, you're dealing with guys. you gotta keep, you, you got to keep dealing with them. I thought he was really good. I thought that Daylon Mack, a lot of power. If you play him over the nose from Texas A&M. Jalen Ferguson, I came up a little short on. I know he's got the sack record from Louisiana Tech. I didn't see very many plays from him that we, you know, that last week at, uh, at Mobile. Um, another guy that I really liked on the defensive side of the ball, I really liked L.J. Collier from, Texas, from TCU. Rush the passer, more of a power rusher. Yep. But boy, oh boy, does he get after people. And Charles Amenahu from Texas, I thought he flashed like crazy at times. And then in the, in the game, he carried it over, and he was really unblockable. And two really good power players inside. Great Gaines from Washington and Colin Saunders from Western Illinois. Gaines, I don't know if you guys were there for heights and weights when they went across the stage. Gaines is not body beautiful, but boy, does he play well. Good hands. And anytime a kid wins the Morris Trophy, which means his peers, right, the guys he played against in the Pac-12, they're the ones who vote and pick the best offensive and defensive linemen. When I see that, that makes me look at you extra because those are the kids speaking. And he won it in the Pac-12. And Saunders, yeah, everyone remembers the round off and the backflip and his, you know, his girlfriend having the baby. Go back and plug in his tape and see him run over people. So those are a few of the guys that I like there. Charles, not limited, not limited. To that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was just the the line in there, offensive, defensive. But I love your perspective on the defensive backs. You played defensive back at the University of Tennessee, had a cup of coffee in the NFL as well, Charles. So a lot of people are excited about the safety class as from the senior ball, but a lot of eyes because he's a Philly ties, and that's Nasir Adderley out of Delaware. Yeah. What did you think of his week down in Mobile? I I thought he had a good week, guys. I really did. And, and you know, I love his body type. I love his movement. Uh, again, he's another kid that jumped in and took all the reps. You know you can get plays out of him in special teams. We had a lot of fun on the kickoff return. And then Daniel Jeremiah, my colleague, said, you know, here's the full story on it. 
they, you know, when he had that kickoff return where he ran over the guy and then stood over him for a second, and like, oh, I've still got to keep running, then went, then went the distance. It's one of our favorite plays. But apparently, he was back deep, and if you, if you look, he only returned like five kickoffs on the year. It wasn't very many. But he was back deep because they thought they were just going to onside kick it. And then they kick it deep, and it just becomes like an open field play, and he makes it. But I thought during the week, watching him adjust to some of the things that were thrown at him, route combinations, different sizes of receivers, working outside, working inside in the slot, working on tight ends, working on slot guys, working on outside receivers. And then he played big in the game itself. So I really enjoyed watching him. And he's the type of kid that I thought got better every day. I don't think the stage was too big from the word go. It was not. But I think every day he grew in confidence. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I can handle this. And I just think he's one of those rangy guys that you can use an assortment of places and make plays. Charles, we talked about it earlier on the show. It's now that time where we're all kind of transitioning to this underclassman group, a record number of guys entering this draft, and we're preparing for the combine. And one player I wanted to ask you about it. It's just a, a fascinating case study is, is Kyler Murray, and we haven't really seen yeah. anything like this. I want to get your thoughts, kind of a two-part question here. What do you think of Kyler Murray, the player? And then what are your thoughts overall on how these last couple of weeks have gone from a very interesting uh, media tour for him throughout the, uh, the Super Bowl week as well? Yeah, you know, somewhere Eddie LeBaron is looking down saying, hey, I want to see how you guys handle this. <laughs> right? Talk about the epitome of the small quarterback, but Eddie LeBaron had a heck of a career playing with the big boys. Murray is fast, accurate, big arm, has everything you're looking for, except, he, you know, we want to see what he measures when the tape comes out. Will he be five closer to 5'8", or will he be closer to 5'10"? You know, I don't know if you guys know his dad. His dad's like 6'2", 6'3", and his dad played around 220 in college at Texas A&M, and he was a terrific quarterback. And he had played baseball first and then came back and played quarterback for A&M, won three straight Southwest Conference championships, was an All-American. If this kid had his dad's frame, we'd be talking about being the first pick in the draft. I actually watched tape coming into Mobile with a scout from another organization, a, 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 a guy who's a, you know, player personnel national scout he's one of the made men right and he watched and he said hey, you want to watch so we watched like 20 plays and we got done he just looked at me he said look i was gonna put it on the table i don't like small players and i was like well this is a small this is a quick conversation then he said, why are you watching <laughs> and he said yeah but i love this kid mm. so he's gonna be a heck of a case study because we've gone through it how many times what do we say about russell wilson he's a first round pick and everything except height, right? He turned out to be that guy even though he went in the third round. Baker Mayfield exceeded that, and we didn't worry about it as much, but the tape measure had him over six feet tall. But he had a heck of a rookie year, and now maybe we're not as concerned about that. That's where I think now, if you're a team and an organization, you actually have free reign to take Kyler Murray, almost no matter what the tape measure is, because we've seen the smaller guys do it so well. We've talked about Breeze, right? We, Fran Tarkenton was one of my favorites beforehand that I always use the comparisons with. But now I don't know that a GM necessarily loses his job if he takes Kyler Murray and he washes out. Because in the old days, if he took a little guy and he washed out, you, you pretty much were done. Not anymore. Remember, the Rams moved up and took Tavon Austin. That didn't exactly work out. But the guy who moved up and took him less need. He's still around. So we don't just necessarily ding you for size anymore if you have other things that, that go along with it. I don't know that last week at the Super Bowl was the best week in the world for Kyler Murray in terms of the interviews, talking. I'm pretty sure he was told just to lie low and don't say one thing or another, whether it's baseball or football. But he got really jammed up on all that. I think he would have been better off just being able to not have to deal with that at all and just let the chips fall where they may. Because he's got a heck of a decision to make. And I don't know that he can make a wrong one. Because baseball's a hard hustle, too. Everybody acts like, ah, oh, baseball, go there, it's longevity. You guys know better than anyone. Have you ever seen anyone try and make it in baseball? That's uh, hard. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely. We, we act like every first-round pick in baseball makes it. Football first-round picks, they all make it for at least a year. No one cuts a first-round pick in football. I mean, God, the last time I remember that was Joe Don Looney getting traded 
after being a first-round pick in preseason of his rookie year. But who cuts a first-round pick? No one does. Usually you're going to be around at least three years before anyone moves on. they got to try and get their investment recouped. In baseball, a lot of first-round picks never see the big leagues. So it's a different deal all in all. But I'm telling you, he's got everything you're looking for except that height, and there will be times where he will get overwhelmed with the pass rush up the middle. But he's so quick, so fast, accurate throwing it, can move move so well. He plays a game like a, like a number of guys we see now, and the future may be here with, with not worrying about height. Charles Davis, Charles, I can listen to you for hours and hours upon end, and uh, can't wait to catch up with you at the Combine in a couple weeks. I look forward to it, and, and this time we're actually catching up because I missed my opportunity with you guys at Mobile. I was ducking and dodging and falling asleep too early because I'm old. So I just got to <laughs> get my sleep ahead Please. of time and make sure that I make sure I'm ready to rock and roll in the afternoon. Charles Davis, NFL Network, again, a must-follow on Twitter at CFD22. Thank you so much. Now we're going to transition into our unofficial visit where Fran caught up with championship quarterback from North Dakota State, Easton Stick. The unofficial visit. Here now with North Dakota State quarterback Easton Stick. And Easton, let me first ask you, you just got done playing. Uh, your championship game was just a week and a half ago, so you've jumped into this pre-draft process really, really quickly. What's that been like for you, just having to transition now into your post-college career? Yeah, like you said, it was a, it was a, a quick transition. You blink and uh, you go from you know celebrating with your guys uh, in Frisco, another national championship, to uh, you're out here and, and learning a new system, uh, getting familiar with new faces and um, and trying to put your best foot forward and, and um, have an opportunity to keep playing. And uh, But it's been fun. Wouldn't want it any other way. Well, fans have had many, many opportunities to see you play on national TV over the course of the last couple of years. But for fans that maybe didn't see you, give us a quick scouting report about yourself, about yourself and what you think you'll bring to the next level. Yeah, um, you know, I'm fortunate. Uh, we've played under center at North Dakota State and um, you know, had a lot of control of the run game and, um, you know, shift trade motion, all that stuff. It was pretty complex for the college level. And obviously moving forward, it'll, it'll be much more uh, complex and, there, and there's more to learn. But um, I feel like I'm prepared in that aspect and uh, the preparation and, um, you know, the Monday through Friday, Saturday, that preparation uh, is really important to me. Uh, I feel like I'm an intuitive player and have the ability to uh, make the first guy miss, extend plays, um, you know, whether it's extending it in the pocket or out of the pocket, the ability to throw from, from different platforms. And uh, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, I've played a lot of football and uh, I've been around a lot of good teams, and I think that's something, you know, being a winner, that's something that carries over. And one area where the, you know, the feedback you've gotten from scouts so far that you kind of know, you know, this is an area I have to prove myself over the course of the next couple of months. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is obviously coming from the FCS level, uh, just showing that, that I can compete um, at the highest level. And uh, this week's obviously a good opportunity playing with some of the best guys in the country and uh, learning new terminology and all that stuff. Just showing that I can come out here, play fast, play ball. And I really believe football is football. I, you know, there's some really good examples, especially at my, my position. Uh, you know one obviously pretty well, and but you look at Garoppolo and, and, and Joe Flacco, Fitzpatrick, guys that have played at the same level I did that came in and uh, were able to play pretty quick at, at the next level. And so, um, you know, there's precedent for it, and uh, I believe I can fit in that group. All right, well, you brought him up, so i got I to ask you now, uh, what has your relationship been like through Car- with Carson Wentz throughout the course of this process? You were his backup there with the Bison before he went on to the NFL. Uh, what's that relationship been like? You guys are still constantly communicating? Yeah, he's a really good friend of mine. I uh, was fortunate, obviously, to play with him at, in Fargo for, for two years. I uh, learned a lot from him, um, and, and he's been a really good friend to me. Uh, we're pretty close and uh, staying in, in close contact, so uh, fortunate to have him uh, in my back pocket a little bit. Sure. All right, so who's a player that's here that really kind of has stood out and opened your eyes a little bit so far that you've worked with on offense? Yeah, um, you know, we we got some really good players at the skill positions. Uh, you look at running backs, man, they're – all of them can, can get out of the backfield and catch, uh, and that's something I think that's huge um, in an offense and the ability to, to get to a check down, uh, you know, versus, versus coverages and, and hit big plays. Um, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, a wide receiver, uh, I think is a really good player. Man, there's a lot of good guys out here, and, um, and up front there's some big dudes, and uh, you look at them, and, and they're athletic and, and can move around. So uh, I feel really fortunate to be a part of this game and playing with these guys. I know you're on a time crunch here. We'll let you go. Appreciate the time, and best of luck throughout the rest of this week. Awesome. Thanks very much. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. 
All right, time for your questions in our draft mailbag to wrap up episode number 140 of the Journey to the Draft podcast. And again, we say rate, leave a comment wherever you listen to our podcast, and we will get you on the show. HK from Apple Podcasts. Awesome podcasts, giving Fran's love of wide receivers. Fran, what do you think about Hakeem Butler? You touched on him a few moments ago in our pick six. Uh, but HK feels like that he's underrated right now. Uh, and also on, from Twitter, so Butler is a popular topic on Twitter, at J-E underscore Baird also wants to know about Butler. So Hakeem Butler, I know you kind of mentioned briefly, but you know, any further thoughts on yeah, that? I haven't done a full study on Butler yet, okay. but I felt you know, since both guys asked about him, I wanted to make sure we talked about him a little bit. You know, From what I've seen, because I have watched David Montgomery from Iowa State, he's a really big kid. I mean, he's got outstanding size, outstanding length, spent a lot of time in the slot, was used vertically down the field. I think he may have led the country in yards per catch, if I remember right. Um, I mean, I have to go back and look at that, but was a big play threat for the Cyclones. And, and so when you look at this, you're like, all right, well, big-bodied kid, does he have that speed to be able to do that at the next level? I'm not quite sure there yet, and that's going to be something that's very important for him. Like we talked about earlier, testing will come into play for all these big-bodied receivers, and I think you work Keem Butler into that mix. All right, let's go to Twitter, at BobNera81. Uh, referring to your mock draft, the Fran mock draft, did you, did you like how I yeah, that's pretty worked good. it? You yep. know, it's, it's I appreciate fun. a pun, so it's, yeah. Uh, go into your board, who would you select there? Wilkins. That was that was. I no figured brainer. that was a slam dunk. Yeah, so. no brainer for me. Uh, next question at LRV two one five. We talked about tight ends with our pick six segment. How would you compare the top prospects Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson with Dallas Goddard last year? So, so basically, if you had yeah. to mix Goddard into the conversation for this year, where would he? I mean, Goddard was a top twenty five player for me in last year's class. I really really liked Dallas Goddard coming out of South Dakota State. So I think when you're looking at him in this tight end class. I haven't done all the work on all the tight ends yet. I will say that I've watched Noah Fant. I, I would take Dallas over Noah Fant okay. each and every day, like not even a question. Uh, and Noah Fant has been talked about going top 15 in some mock drafts. I don't, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Uh, Hawkinson is a guy, it's funny, when I was watching Fant over the summer, mm-hmm. I'd watch Fant, Fant's a good player. Watching Fant, and I would say, "Who's this guy?" Like, there's another guy that that's playing, and it was, and it was Hawkinson. And Hawkinson, they both started. They, they, you know, they started uh, almost every game. I think for Iowa this year, both guys uh, in their two tight end sets. And Hawkinson is a better blocker than Fant. Um, you know, is a guy that has been more of a three down player throughout his career. He translates more to a three down player, just like Dallas Goddard did. Come back to me in a, in a week or two about uh, how Hawkinson compares to Goddard. It's interesting because I think Dallas Goddard is such a huge linchpin for the team in 2019. Yeah, I'm sure Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade and Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro, you can get more of that insight there. But yep. still, just I think he's such a critical X factor for next season with what he did as a rookie. Our SC Eagles fan from Twitter wants to know thoughts on Draymond Jones from Ohio State, the defensive tackle. Uh, and I think Tony talked about yep. him. You talked about him, you know, because he received the fewest amount of votes yeah. in the poll, which you both were surprised by. I mean, he fits the scheme to a T, without question. I mean, he's made some really, really impressive plays with his motor. He's very athletic. He's got the ability to be a great pass rusher on the inside. There are some concerns about his ability to defend the run. That is a little bit of a concern with him, but his highs are really, really impressive. I've said in the past that he reminds me of Sheldon Richardson Mm -hmm. uh, when he was coming out of Missouri. He was a top 15 pick, a top 13 pick coming out of Missouri to the uh, the New York Jets. So uh, to me, I look at Draymond Jones as a guy that – if he goes, if he knocks out the combine, you're talking about a guy who could go in the top half of round one. I think he's a first round pal- uh, talent, without question. All right, we have two more here. Nick Turchin on Twitter uh, thoughts on projecting play strength for running backs, and brings up North Dakota State Bruce Anderson, who struggled in pass protection drills at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, which contrasted his tape. So knowing that he came from a lesser, you know, set of competition. Yep. Uh, does he have to get in the weight room? Is it a matter of the, does he have to get coached up properly? How, how do you factor that in your grading and evaluation? So I have to go back and look at my notes on Anderson and what he looked like at the weigh-in. Um, but remember that you know with some of these guys, and that's what you worry about a little bit in terms of how they're built, are they maxed out? You know, physically, are they going to be able to put a little bit more weight on? Will they be able to further develop their bodies and get bigger and get stronger? Uh, if that's something that you feel like he can do, and you know, then you, there's a little bit room for projection there uh, to say, oh, he's going to get bigger, he's going to get stronger, he'll be able to hold up better in pass protection. If not, 
then you worry a little bit because I think, yeah, he did, he does he does come from a lower level of competition. So you know, seeing what you saw on tape, comparing that to what you saw at the Senior Bowl, I didn't watch all the pass pro drills with him that early on because remember he got hurt uh, midway yeah. through that week of practice, so I didn't see that drill that Nick's talking about. Um, so I can't necessarily speak to it directly. But uh, when you're when you're seeing that, I mean, that's one of the things when you're dealing with projection is all right. Physically, will the guy be able to hold up? Will he be able to continue to develop his body? That's a big question that. He's going to have to answer. That was very interesting. You talk about the weigh-ins where you'd see a guy who looks all rocked out and everything and rocked up, and it's like, yeah, but that's he ain't putting any more muscles on. There's, there's no more weight to be put if on that, that if frame. He's, if he's a 220-pound linebacker and he's all rocked up, that's, yeah, he's not, get, that's he's not getting a 238. Uh, yeah. that's, that's not happening. So last question here. Our good friend Wilton Houston on Twitter. Uh, with the draft being deep defensively, if the top offensive players, specifically he mentions receivers, O-line, running backs, were to come off the board first on a run, who would fit in the first 10 picks? It's a good question. Um, so I, this almost kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, that, that draft two years, the Derek Barnett draft, yes. uh, where you know you had three receivers go in the top 10, and you started to say, oh, man, like where are all the skill players going? I think if there were going to be a run – I don't. I don't know that. I mean, look. Who knew that John Ross was going to go as high as he did? I think you look at Marquise Brown, and he could be a, a surprise there. Like if he goes and he runs four two eight at, at the combine, like maybe we start talking about him in the top fifteen. Running back, I really don't. Outside of Josh Jacobs, and I don't know that I would go as high as top ten, top fifteen with Josh Jacobs, but uh, he would be one guy I'd say. But after that, I don't know that you're going to see a run there with running backs, and then uh, offensive linemen. I think it's Jawan Taylor. Uh, I think it's Jonah Williams. Andre Dillard from Washington State. Um, Does Tyus Howard come in the conversation? Potentially. Potentially, if he, if he goes, he has a great workout. What did you think of uh, Charles' comment about uh, Lane Johnson's brother, Cam oh, McGarry? Okay. See, I don't think McGarry is going to go that high. I think McGarry could be like a day two guy. I think he could, he could be a day two guy. But in terms of like talking about early um, – you know, if they come off the board first in a run, I mean, that's that's kind of why this draft is weird. Like, it's it's not that it's weird; it's just that it, it's it's different. I mean, it's so it's so heavy with front seven, yep, tight end, and that that might be it, and yeah. a couple quarterbacks that are getting you know going to get bumped up just because of the nature of the position. So um, there's talent, but it's not at the at the sexy positions that we're maybe accustomed mm-hmm. to. It's almost like the the draft in uh, 2013 where it was three offensive linemen in the first four yeah. picks. So um, different positions, but it's very similar from that way. And the Eagles got the right one. Eagles got Mo- the right one. Most, most important. Without question. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us here. So the journey continues here on the Journey to Drive podcast. Fran and I will be back once again next week. So for all of you out there, thank you so much for listening. Again, rate, review, download, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week, have a wonderful Eagles Day, everyone.